Need one more reason why your Safeway store is just better? How about free Cuisinart Classic Cutlery or Elite Flatware? That's right. For every $10 you spend, earn a free stamp saver you can redeem for Cuisinart items. Once you've collected between 30 and 60 stamps, you could start shopping for a variety of Cuisinart Cutlery or Flatware available at the in-store display. Present your items and stamp saver at checkout. It's simple. Spend $10, get your free stamp saver. Start collecting. Safeway, it's just better. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Holistic Living, brought to you by East West Healing and Performance. And now, here are your hosts, Josh and Jeannie Rubin. What up, everyone? This is Josh Rubin from East West Healing and Performance, today to host our great radio show with Dr. Ray Peake. Jeannie will not be joining us today, so it's just me and Dr. Ray Peake on the show. And once again, you know, I always say this, and not a lot of people call in, but, you know, we do this show, uh, of course, for ourselves, but we do it more for the listeners, because I know a lot of people are, are really into race philosophy and information, so... You know, at the right time, don't call in in two seconds, but at the right time, feel free to call in, ask a question. The show's on cholesterol and saturated fats, so obviously try to revolve your questions around that. The uh, call-in number is 347-426-3546. And, of course, if you can't listen to the show live, you can always download it later from our actual Blog Talk Radio Show page. You can find that on our website, eastwesthealing.com, on the right-hand side. Or, as well, check our Facebook, Twitter, all those fun little social media OCD creating pages uh, in order to listen to the show later on. Take notes because it's going to be a great show. Of course, want to just introduce ourselves. If you're new, uh, we own a, um, you know, a wellness center, just probably a wellness center back in the Carlsbad area, San Diego. Uh, we work with nutrition and lifestyle clients all over the world using phone and Skype to help them with a lot of their metabolic issues, autoimmune diseases, GI problems, and so forth. So feel free to call us if you have any questions regarding our services, you can check out our website at eastwesthealing.com. And if you're local, definitely uh, stop in, check it out. One more order of business. I have to check my schedule, but I'm pretty sure it's October 27th, which is a Thursday at 2 p.m. I have to double-check, but I'm pretty sure that's it. We're going to do a show with Dr. Cutler. Dr. Cutler is a biochemist, and he wrote a book called Amalgam Illness, Diagnosis and Treatment what you can do um, better, and how your doctor can help. It's a great book. You can look it up. Andrew Hall Cutler, Ph.D. It's called Amalgam Illness. Highly recommend it. And our show is going to be on Amalgam Illness. So definitely stay tuned for that. So today's show, cholesterol and fats, huge topic. Of course, we're going to get Ray Pete's philosophy on this. We'll cover lots of things from why cholesterol is so important, why a doctor is trying to lower it, why our body needs it, our physiology needs it, and what can happen and what it means if it's high or low and what we can do to actually lower it. As well as why saturated fats, yes, the right types of saturated fats are so important in our diet. So enough of me. I want to get Dr. Ray Pete on the show. Maybe let him do an intro of himself this time because I feel like I never do enough honor. Um, just one more key piece before I click him in. I always say this. We do the show. He He volunteers his time, and I know a lot of people are emailing him left and right. 
So please, 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 I don't care if you send them a check for a dollar, $10, $5, $50, $100, whatever you want to send them to say thanks. If you're emailing them, sending them a check, you know, I know people that send them checks every month. We send them checks all the time. I just think it's it's important because he's he's donating, you know, one to two hours of his time plus emails every month. So don't want to say any more of that, but hopefully you can take that and run with it and say thank you to Dr. AP. So let me get him on. Ray, you there? Yes, hi. How's it going? Okay. So I wanted to know if you wanted to just kind of introduce yourself to a lot of the listeners. I always do an intro, and I just feel like it never do, does you uh, the justice. So I don't know if you want to take a couple minutes just to kind of give a brief history of who you are and kind of where you come from. Um, before I studied biology, uh, I was uh, mostly uh, studying language and literature and painting and uh I had been interested in biology uh, for a very long time, but uh, I had a bad impression of uh, academic biology from my high school experience mostly, but but then seeing that uh, in the 1940s there was a a very uh, big change in the nature of American biology uh, and uh, that was powered by industry and government uh, promotion of of the gene theory as opposed to the field theory in in development and health and so on. So I waited a long time uh, until 1968 to uh, actually enter a graduate program in biology. And I had uh, learned enough about universities and and uh, biology uh, to manage to get through the program without uh, having too many conflicts with the professors. Uh, Most of the professors were uh, very committed to the uh, genetic determinist idea of what an organism is. And uh, I was uh, interested in the, the field concept and the environmental influences on the organism and uh, uh, nutrition is is one of the most important environmental influences on the nature of the organism um, so I see our our nature as being uh, a matter of potential being realized uh, according to the conditions of the environment rather than the expression of a predetermined genetic program. So you're also a, a, a writer, guys. If you, if you want to check out uh, Ray's philosophy and what he does, definitely check out his website at raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T. Um, he has umpteen number of articles on his website that are free. And check him out, download him, buy his books. You can buy his books from his website as well. They're a wealth of information. I mean, I think I've read each book six times over easily. So definitely do that. Check him out. Um, but that's a synopsis of who Ray is. And today we're going to talk about cholesterol and fats. And Ray's done a lot of work on this. He's written a lot on this. And I think it's a huge controversial topic out there. 
Um, a lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people are afraid of cholesterol. Uh, the medical community is making people afraid of cholesterol. People don't understand saturated fats. So hopefully today we can clarify a lot of these things, or Dr. Pete can clarify a lot of these things, um, to educate yourself so you understand what you're actually saying, the meaning behind what you're saying. So we have a lot of questions here from listeners. I got a lot of questions kind of written up, but I guess we should start with, you know, kind of some basic questions. I mean, kind of on the political side of it or the, or the Western medicine side of it, right? Why do you think America is so afraid of cholesterol and saturated fats? Um, I think it's uh, driven primarily by the uh, food industry uh, wanting to sell uh, their products, uh, the uh, seed oils. Um, they, the seed oils were already uh, seen to be toxic uh, caused sterility, uh, uh, degeneration of the brain and the gonads and so on, uh, in the probably from 1925, but especially in the 1930s and 40s, uh, the um, very oxidizable seed oils were were known to be uh, toxic, and that was one of the factors in. Uh, researching vitamin E as, as something to uh, counteract the toxicity of, of the seed oils, unsaturated fats, as well as the toxicity of estrogen, which happens to uh, interact, synergize with uh, unsaturated fats. And uh, the uh, pig industry had been looking for ways to make their animals uh, gain weight and eat less food. And uh, the um, George Burr, who's identified as the inventor of the essential fatty acid concept uh, himself, discovered that uh, the essential fatty acids slow the metabolic rate tremendously. The deficient animals uh, eating sugar instead of uh, unsaturated fats had about a 50% higher metabolic rate, but uh, various people noticed that effect, and uh, they found that uh, feeding uh, soy and and corn to the pigs because of the unsaturated fats suppressing their metabolic rate uh, increased the um, profit, uh, less food in, more pig out. And at the same time, uh, they they noticed that it was lowering uh, cholesterol just as one of its uh, biological effects, uh, a toxic effect, basically. And um, the uh, paint chemists, the oil chemists, discovered uh, that instead of using the expensive seed oils that were now... Uh, being sold largely as pig food, uh, the um, chemists discovered how to make paints and plastics from petroleum around 1950. And uh, that uh, decreased one of the big markets for soybeans in particular. Uh, Henry Ford uh, had imported 
soybeans to use in the car industry. Uh, he made a car body entirely out of soybean plastic and, and hoped to uh, replace iron with that. Uh, there's a picture of him uh, using a sledgehammer to pound on one of his cars, showing that they were very strong. But by uh, the late 1930s, only doorknobs and steering wheels were still made of the, the uh, soybean plastic. But uh, when the petroleum chemists learned how to use petroleum, uh, that freed up uh, the soybean market for pigs, and uh, their production was uh, great enough they wanted to find new markets to replace the paint and plastics market. And uh, so they started promoting the health idea of their uh, soy oil, cottonseed oil, uh, safflower seed oil, and so on. And uh, the only biological effect other than sterility and, and dementia uh, that were established for the seed oils was that they lowered blood cholesterol. And uh, for oh, several decades, people had uh, been noticing that uh, cholesterol accumulated in the walls of blood vessels, uh, atherosclerosis. And although the uh, first person who uh, discovered that in rabbits had dissolved the cholesterol in unsaturated vegetable oil, uh, he he realized that cholesterol by itself wasn't causing the disease. Um, but uh, there had been these experiments that gave a basis for the seed oil people to uh, say cholesterol is found in the uh, hardened arteries and in the blood, and their oil uh, lowers the level in the blood, so they they uh, argued by guilt by association that if it's in the blood vessel and the blood, uh, then you can lower it in the blood and prevent the uh, disease. But the very people who had made those discoveries uh, had realized that it wasn't so. And uh, in fact, in the 1930s, uh, people had uh, found that, that uh, thyroid was enough to uh, prevent the atherosclerosis, and at the same time, it lowered cholesterol. Um, over the last 10 or 15 years, a Swedish doctor named Ufi Ravenskov has uh, gone through the literature and uh, shown just beautifully that there is no connection between uh, atherosclerosis, heart disease, and uh, the, the uh, triglycerides and cholesterol in the blood, they are associated, but uh, it isn't causal. And uh, the experiments that had been done in the 30s showed that hypothyroidism and the associated changes caused by the lack of thyroid and metabolism uh, were what caused the uh, atherosclerosis and the um, cholesterol 
seems to be there as a defensive reaction uh, to protect the injured uh, blood vessels. So, just for the listeners, because you did chat, you, you brought up unsaturated fats. Can you just elaborate maybe the difference between the saturated and unsaturated fats for the listeners? Because a lot of people don't really know the difference between those. Yeah, it refers to the uh, chain of carbon atoms in the fatty acid. Uh, in one case, they have all of the hydrogen atoms attached to them that's possible. So they're saturated with hydrogen. And if some of the carbon atoms lack the hydrogen, uh, they just have uh, their, their electron bonds more exposed to the environment. And uh, that the absence of the hydrogen uh, makes them more flexible uh, instead of being sort of like a bottle brush bristling with, with the hydrogen. Uh, surrounding the chain of carbons, um, it's it's more like a necklace of beads, uh, flexible, uh, where the hydrogens are missing, the bonds uh, can rotate uh, more freely. Uh, the um, you get two or three or four or five of those double bonds, and uh, the chain is is bent at each place there's a double bond, and at, at the single bonds, the, the molecules rotate freely, so the, uh, you can get uh, very uh, flexible shapes when you have the uh, purely or highly unsaturated molecules. And uh, that flexibility you can see uh, when you put a bottle of oil in the refrigerator, uh, coconut oil is hard uh, when it's just a little cool, just uh, below room temperature or even at room temperature. But olive oil has to be uh, much cooler before it starts solidifying. That's because it's relatively saturated. And canola and corn oil have to be extremely cold before they'll solidify. And that's biologically uh, important. One of its meanings is that uh, if the organism lives at uh, 40 degrees Fahrenheit, for example, uh, and it contained uh, butter fat or um, olive oil, it's... uh, uh, fats would be solid and wouldn't be uh, manageable. Uh, uh, for example, if, if an animal contained 30% fat and it all hardened, uh, its uh, subcutaneous fat would, would become stiff, uh, just the way uh, a, a steak, when it's in the refrigerator, the fat is stiff when it's uh, in very warm conditions, it becomes soft and flexible. Uh, so in the tropics, uh, even fish in the Amazon River, for example, have fat as saturated as butter fat. Uh, and uh, if you uh, grow uh, soybeans or corn in a, a very warm climate, their fat is saturated according to the temperature. 
and uh, chocolate and coconuts grow in a place where the temperature is probably averaging close to 90 degrees, and so they need to have very saturated fat to be uh, just for the biochemical manipulation of the molecules to happen. And if you had unsaturated fat, like is necessary for the cold water polar fish, for them to be flexible, they have to have triply or quadruply unsaturated fats. But if you had those in a fish in the Amazon River, the fish would oxidize its fats in just a couple of days. Um, even with a, a medium unsaturated oil, uh, such as soy oil or corn oil, uh, if you put a, a rubber hose into a cork in the top of the bottle and uh, put the other end of the hose in a, a cup of water and leave the bottle at room temperature, uh, the water will uh, rise up the tube uh, as the oil is consuming oxygen. Uh, it's a, just a constant process, even at room temperature. And if you raise it to body temperature, 95 or 100 degrees, uh, then the process is much faster and you have uh, sticky, rancid oil very quickly. So it's a biological adaptation. Uh, you can make a, a pig have subcutaneous unsaturated fat um, depending on the, the temperature of, of the weather that it's exposed to. If you put a sweater on the pig, uh, it'll get more saturated. <laughs> It's quite interesting. So, guys, what he just said the past couple minutes, write that down. <clears throat> That's some really good stuff to educate yourself on the differences and why saturated fat is, is so important, the right type for humans, and why unsaturated fats can be actually quite detrimental. Now, you were talking about um, atherosclerosis. It's not the easiest word to say. Um, you know, most Western literature, Western you know medicine literature doctors, they always talk about cholesterol and heart disease. Um, you know, and if you even read the side of, like, Lipitor and stuff, it even says this medication has not been approved to prevent heart disease, but they still promote it for that. What do you feel? I know your thoughts on, on intracellular calcium and, and fibrosis and all that. Can you elaborate on what your thoughts are around um, athero atherosclerosis and heart disease and stuff like that? Um, yeah, the um, uh, polyunsaturated fats uh, that we unavoidably get in our diet, uh, they're constantly breaking down, uh, producing free radicals and uh, tending to cause inflammation and, and tissue injury. And uh, if anything is uh, disturbing the metabolism of, of a cell, uh, that's more likely to happen. For example, the the normal healthy oxidation through the mitochondrion uh, keeps the electrons uh, tightly controlled while they're, they're being transferred from, uh, say, a glucose molecule to an oxygen molecule. 
but if you uh, take away some of the oxygen, uh, the electrons uh, in the mitochondrion will have uh, no place proper to go, and uh, they will escape as as uh, free radical uh, potentiators, and and so the cell becomes more oxidized in the absence of sufficient oxygen. So any stress of a cell uh, puts out these electrons that can attack the exposed electron bonds in unsaturated fats, but the saturated fats uh, aren't open for um, stray electrons. So, so every time you're uh, limited in your uh, delivery of oxygen to a cell, uh, you're putting the unsaturated fats uh, in the way of, of these stray electrons. And uh, those will then start chain reactions that um, it, at the extreme, they form uh, lumps of material called age pigment or lipofuscin. And uh, these, uh, the, the um, free radical uh, oxidized fat fragments attach to proteins and uh, they collect uh, bits of iron and uh, other uh, breakdown products uh, from the free radical uh, attacks on whatever is around in the cell. And these lumps of age pigment, because of their iron and uh, uh, fat uh, fragments, uh, are able to catalyze the um, consumption of energy and uh, deliver energy from uh, the um, enzymes to oxygen. So they can uh, create a, a false mitochondrial effect, consuming energy and wasting oxygen. And then that accelerates the process because the real mitochondrion is uh, further deprived of oxygen by, by these age pigment lumps. Um, but before that happens, at, that tends to be at the end of of the life. Uh, the, you get uh, degrees of that happening in which oxygen deprivation and stress uh, cause uh, lower degrees of, of damage and inefficiency. Uh, signals go out uh, changing the the conditions of the organism, uh, uh, for example, sending signals uh, that uh, more energy is needed, activating hormones uh, such as cortisol, estrogen, and growth hormones. And uh, these three hormones are very closely connected to the rising triglycerides and the uh, damage to the uh, blood vessel wall, uh, and they tend to interact. Uh, cortisol increases estrogen, estrogen increases cortisol, and they both increase growth hormone. And all of these uh, tend to uh, break down triglycerides into free fatty, in, yeah, free fatty acids, which are are more reactive, uh, tend to become oxidized more quickly, cause more cellular injury. Uh, 
so the um, circulating fats in the in the bloodstream are in the first place uh, activated by stress and unsaturated fats, and then these uh, three main hormones uh, increase the uh, damage they can do, uh, even though they normally would be part of a defensive repair process in the presence of the unsaturated fats, they they, uh, magnify the damage. So in regards to cholesterol, when an organism is stressed, you mentioned how cholesterol will actually elevate, and I think a lot of people don't understand that. Why, Why is cholesterol so important for our physiology, and why does it go up when one is stressed? Um, it, the um, whole stress hormone system, the, the, the things that Hans Selye popularized and, and studied for many years, uh, he was concentrating on the steroid system, and uh, that's the most powerful uh, stress-induced uh, system. The uh, pituitary senses something wrong in the organism, increases its ACTH, which uh, drives the adrenal glands in particular to uh, take up cholesterol and and to synthesize uh, cholesterol from raw materials uh, and to uh, direct the cholesterol into the mitochondrion uh, to turn it into uh, pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, and finally cortisol. And the cortisol uh, is the uh, the thing which has a short-term uh, defensive reaction against stress. By uh, one of its main effects is to turn protein into sugar, uh, so that uh, the sugar can be used uh, for energy to uh, increase adaptive ability to handle the stress. But if you if you keep your cortisone up too long, uh, you'll destroy too much of your uh, protein uh, tissues. So the uh, before the cortisol uh, stage of stress, uh, the uh, continuously activated uh, adrenal tissue will be first producing uh, pregnenolone progesterone, and DHEA, and it's it's only when those aren't enough to handle the stress that the, the progesterone will be further converted into uh, the cortisol. So the uh, production of the, the cholesterol is the first stage of handling a stress reaction, and then the uh, the cholesterol has to be converted into pregnenolone right. to, uh, to further the uh, defensive uh, reactions. But uh, the increased production of cholesterol itself is a primitive defensive anti-stress system. And the the later stages, pregnenolone, progesterone, and DHEA, back up that basic function of... of uh, cholesterol, giving it uh, uh, more dimensions of protection. But starting 
probably around 1920, people uh, were trying to purify cholesterol and see what it uh, what its biological effects would be. They found that uh, I think they used about uh, 10 different toxins, everything from uh, in pus from an infection to uh, snake venom, heavy metals, uh, uh, chlorinated solvents, uh, everything that occurred to them. They would give a lethal dose of the poison to an animal, and uh, if they gave it a good dose of cholesterol, <laughs> it would survive uh, an otherwise lethal dose. And uh, that has been done uh, repeatedly. Uh, there have been some uh, more specific things. Uh, for example, the uh, uh, testes uh, are stimulated to to more efficiently produce sperms in the presence of cholesterol and the cholesterol uh, has a direct activating effect on on producing more of the defensive steroids and uh, helping the cell uh, do what it should do as well as uh, interfering with the the toxic effects of uh, uh, chemical stresses and and physical stresses. Uh, for example, hyperthermia that will cause your red cells to break down. If you add enough cholesterol, uh, the cells won't be hurt by an otherwise deadly temperature. So it's, it's just an incredibly broad spectrum uh, protective substance. So... For the listeners, cholesterol rising under stress is a response, and people should understand that. It's your body's natural response to stress to help fight stress. Now, the issue is with most people, it goes up, keeps going up, keeps going up, and it's never coming down. So what are your thoughts on that? Is it a conversion issue? You know, What do you need to make that conversion from cholesterol to pregnenolone? Um, in, uh, I guess it was about 40 years ago that someone... Uh, was looking at the effects of uh, varying the amount of cholesterol going into either an ovary or, or an adrenal gland, and they found that uh, if the uh, thyroid uh, hormone and the vitamin A nutrition were adequate, the amount of progesterone coming out exactly corresponded to the amount of cholesterol going in. Uh, so a, a very big portion of of the uh, cholesterol is being turned into the also protective hormones pregnenolone progesterone and DHEA and uh, that is a massive uh, turnover of of the cholesterol that's being produced but it depends on thyroid and vitamin A very largely uh so the higher your thyroid function, the more cholesterol you're consuming. And in the 1930s, uh, someone noticed that when the thyroid gland had been removed, people's cholesterol immediately went up. So they would measure the cholesterol and give them a thyroid supplement. And immediately, as the metabolic rate increased, the cholesterol would decrease. The 
blood cholesterol was a mirror image of their thyroid function. Uh, but um, the thyroid also supports the ability to make the cholesterol in the first place. But uh, the level that a healthy person maintains depends on everything else that's happening. So that uh, if if you have, say, a, a 500 milligram uh, cholesterol blood level, uh, uh, that's considered very high, and you can bring it down in a week to uh, 200 or 180 just by giving frequent small doses of, of a quick-acting thyroid. Uh, and uh, that is protective because it's uh, what's needed for them to uh, produce progesterone and pregnenolone so they don't have to rely on, on the pure effects of the cholesterol for their anti-stress activity. Uh, the, um, if, if you lack something needed to turn uh, energy into cholesterol, for example, sugar is, is needed. If something is causing you to be overloaded with unsaturated fats um, and uh, too much starch and unsaturated fats are probably uh, are the main reason for not being able to produce enough cholesterol. Uh, the thyroid will also help you overcome uh, some of the blocks to uh, producing cholesterol, but a, a, a supplement of sugar sometimes is needed to bring up your production of cholesterol so that uh, you don't want your cholesterol to get below something like 160 is a very minimum. Um, in in some studies, after uh, they were seeing that uh, some some diseases such as cancer uh, were associated with very low cholesterol levels, and uh, instead of being that the cholesterol was being consumed by the cancer, it turns out that uh, low cholesterol uh, makes you susceptible to developing cancer. Uh, when there, there was a Hungarian study uh, about uh, 45 years ago uh, that found that when they chemically lowered uh, the cholesterol, the mortality increased from all causes, accidents, homicides, suicide, uh, and cancer, a huge increase in cancer mortality as they chemically lowered the the blood cholesterol. And uh, the, the hormones that aren't being produced uh, from the cholesterol are probably the reason for those increases in mortality. So when it comes to making that conversion, now I know a lot of people follow your philosophy, and one thing certain people say is when they start following your philosophy to lower their cholesterol, the cholesterol actually goes up. Now, is that because of utilizing the tropical fruits that they haven't been used to and they're producing more uh, they're producing more T3, so they're utilizing more, and it'll eventually come back down, um, or are they missing something? Yeah, uh, and no one is really sure what the 
optimal uh, level of cholesterol is. Uh, right. For example, uh, looking at old people in rest homes, uh, they followed their cholesterol levels and saw that the the ones that lived the longest had uh, pretty high cholesterol. I think the 270 was the uh, what number that corresponded to the longest uh, survival. And uh, in the Framingham study, they saw that people over the age of 50 who didn't have at least a 200 cholesterol level were more likely to develop dementia. And in a big study of of violence, uh, they divided populations into those with at least 180 cholesterol and those below 180. And the violent offenders were uh, in clearly connected with the uh, below 180 cholesterol levels. So going back to the dementia, and, the de- and I think you mentioned in one of your books you talk about people with low cholesterol, whatever that number is, there's a higher incidence of depression. And you talk about cholesterol is a precursor to pregnenolone. Um, can you elaborate on pregnenolone's effects on our brain ke- chemistry? I know you talk about ACTH on that. Uh, can you elaborate on that for the listeners? Uh, yeah, the uh, several signals can um, tell your brain that you're suffering stress. For example, uh, low blood sugar is one of the basic things. And uh, uh, the the various things that uh, amount to stress act on uh, the... Uh, the stability regulators of brain cells. The, the um, GABA is a sleep-inducing uh, uh, peptide or uh, 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 fragment fragment of uh, the uh, glutamic acid amino acid. Uh, well, glutamic acid excites the brain if you take off the acid. It becomes uh, gamma aminobutyric acid, which uh, sedates the brain. Uh, and uh, the stressed brain uh, will activate enzymes to produce GABA and turn off the excitation. Uh, and uh, there are specific peptide signals that act uh, parallel with glutamic acid to excite the brain and uh, to uh, interfere with GABA, the stabilizer. Uh, And uh, the um, uh, Valium type uh, uh, sedative or tranquilizer uh, acts on the GABA stabilizing system of the brain. Uh, if, If something is preventing the glutamic acid from being turned into sufficient amounts of GABA, uh, Valium will uh, fill in and uh, activate the GABA system. And activating the GABA system turns off the the stress signals and stops the pituitary from producing ACTH to activate the the, uh, adrenal cortex. 
and uh, progesterone and pregnenolone and many other things uh, act on the GABA receptor system. Um, and pregnenolone happens to be uh, one that is uh, doesn't have many other hormone-like effects. It's uh, basically a stabilizer at, at all levels of cells. In the brain, its effect is on the, the GABA system uh, to imitate Valium, uh, to uh, tell your pituitary that the stress is under control and to stop producing so much cortisol. So uh, in early experiments testing the toxicity of, of uh, pregnenolone, uh, someone gave a, a group of mice or rats uh, 10 grams of, of powdered uh, progesterone, or pregnenolone made into a slurry injected into their stomachs. And uh, they didn't have any appetite for a few hours because being so full of powdered pregnenolone. But uh, the only hormonal effect that they saw was that some of the animals that had been stressed and had excessive cortisol or uh, corticosteroid uh, before the dose of pregnenolone, uh, when they were getting the huge dose, they were normalized. So the animals were more normal after that big dose than they were before the dose. Uh, for a person, that would be like uh, eating a pound of progesterone all at once. A pregnenolone, rather. Yeah. So pregnenolone alone, I mean, could nutrition philosophies do enough if you're making the conversion to raise pregnenolone to help with brain chemistry, skin tone, and overall stress reduction? Or do you recommend possibly using a powder pregnenolone to actually help balance that and lower cholesterol? Yeah, it depends on, on the how, how far the uh, system has deteriorated. Uh, many years ago, uh, some Russians found just with isolated mitochondria that uh, giving them pregnenolone would structurally restore damaged mitochondria hmm. and allow them to begin producing more pregnenolone. And uh, that's similar to what people saw with isolated uh, progesterone on slices of adrenal uh, gland uh, when they would give uh, the adrenal slice pregnenolone or progesterone it would increase its production of progesterone so in both cases there's a positive feedback rather than the the typical negative feedback you give it some and it makes more which which means that the organism is designed as if it wants as much as it can get. Right. And uh, ordinarily you can make enough um, from um, converting sugar to cholesterol and uh, with thyroid and vitamin A converting cholesterol to the, the other hormones. Uh, but when you have been poisoned with uh, not enough of, of the uh, needed foods or too much of the 
unsaturated oils, uh, heavy metals, uh, causing free radical reactions and so on, then it helps to use all of the supports possible, uh, thyroid supplements, uh, pregnenolone supplements, uh, possibly DHEA and progesterone, uh, saturated fats, sugar, everything uh, that works in the same direction. Right, right. Makes sense. Now, I just got an email from a listener just to rewind it a little bit. He wanted to know if you could elaborate a little bit on why growth hormone, um, when you're talking about it being inflammatory, why is it inflammatory? Is it just in itself inflammatory? Is it the excess of it actually being inflammatory to the system? Um, the um, Most of the research is uh, designed to uh, praise its beneficial effects, but uh, there are some very basic uh, observations that uh, uh, people who have been chronically deficient in it uh, have a, a remarkable absence of atherosclerosis. Um, the uh, mice that uh, genetically are, are deficient in the pituitary hormones have no growth hormone. Uh, they aren't very big, but they live uh, two or three times as long as normal mice. And uh, uh, one researcher uh, removed the pituitaries uh, from several species of animals and found that they lived much, much longer than the animals with their pituitaries if they were given uh, basically a thyroid supplement to keep their metabolism going. So uh, uh, when when you have hypoglycemia, uh, you increase your growth hormone, and it tends to come with with the other pituitary uh, stress responsive hormones, and all of these uh, tend to uh, have their side effects. So they're they're all beneficial in the right amount at the right time, but they're all harmful when they go on too long or too high a level. Um, people with uh, the um, giantism, uh, acromegaly, uh, from a, a, for example, in a tumor or overactivity of the pituitary gland, uh, they have an extremely high incidence of atherosclerosis. So we're talking cholesterol. Can you explain just the – you can get as deep as you want, I know, but the basics for people in the differences between HDL and LDL? Um, they're – both of them are um, able to uh, participate in detoxification. Uh, the, uh, the protein that helps to carry the – cholesterol in the bloodstream itself has some very specific uh, anti-stress, even antiviral activity. Uh, So they're part of of our ability to respond to stress, the protein, as well as the the, uh, cholesterol associated with the protein. And uh, they're, they're both defensive and both important, but they 
the LDL is mostly the one that carries uh, uh, cholesterol into uh, the places where it's needed, the brain, uh, the ovaries, uh, testicles, and adrenal glands. But anywhere uh, you're making steroids, and that includes the skin. Skin is probably our our biggest endocrine gland. The brain is the next, and uh, then the ovaries, uh, testicles, and adrenals. Uh, and the HDL uh, has probably some uh, more specific anti-toxic effects where the LDL is, is more delivery system of cholesterol itself. Um, and toxins will tend to increase the HDL uh, relative to the LDL toxins uh, of uh, most types will increase both of them defensively, but uh, the uh, chlorinated hydrocarbons, uh, radiation, estrogen, and alcohol, for example, will increase the HDL relative to the LDL because it it has some more specific antitoxic effects. Now, I know you've talked about before how DHEA can actually lower LDL cholesterol. I think I read that in one of your articles. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, can lower which? The LDL? Yeah, I think it was the LDL. Um, well, anything that um, is activating the the, the uh, turnover, uh, increasing your metabolism, uh, progesterone uh, redirects your metabolism, uh, DHEA, uh, intensifies some of the uh, cellular turnover processes. Uh, thyroid is the basic thing, uh, increasing the turnover. Uh, and the, the turnover of cholesterol, uh, besides making uh, more of the uh, pregnenolone progesterone, uh, it's also important to keep it turning over uh, so that it doesn't sit around and get oxidized uh, in the presence of the unsaturated uh, fat breakdown products, which everyone has uh, exposure to. Uh, so everything that increases your metabolic rate, uh, such as uh, thyroid, DHEA, coconut oil, and right. sugar and salt, all of these things uh, can potentially lower your uh, cholesterol just by increasing its use, but uh, it depends on where you're starting. They can potentially increase it if, if synthesis is, is the limiting factor. So it's really just going back from cholesterol, the conversion, having those things, sugars, T3, vitamin A, to pregnenolone to produce DHA and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Now, I know you've talked about light therapy a lot and how lack of, or just even light um, can you talk about how you mentioned how lack of light can actually cause an increase in cholesterol? Um, someone uh, took blood samples every 15 minutes uh, during the night and recorded whether the person was awake or not. And as soon as the lights went off, 
the uh, cortisol began rising, and it continued uh, pretty uh, steadily through the night, and sleeping uh, decreased the rate of increase of cortisol, uh, but it shows that uh, the stress system recognizes very immediately in, in less than 15 minutes that darkness uh, is stress in some way. And that seems to be that the uh, uh, the intrinsic uh, oxidation free radical production uh, gets out of control uh, in proportion to the, the exposure to darkness. Um, when you measure the cytochrome oxidase, which is what uh, delivers uh, uh, food electrons to oxygen, it's the last step in the mitochondrial energy production. Uh, if you measure that during darkness, it degrades and uh, after several hours, like in the far north, where you have 15-hour nights, uh, after about 12 to 15 hours, the uh, mitochondria swell up. Some of them explode and leak their contents. Uh, just from the, the, the 15 hours of, of darkness is uh, fatal to a, a large proportion of the mitochondria. And first, they they produce more and more uh, cortisol, but uh, finally they're they're overstressed and and simply die. So that's part of the aging process is being exposed to uh, the prolonged stress of darkness. And uh, when they shined red light on the uh, the heads of experimental rats, uh, the red light penetrates. Uh, very easily, but it happens that the uh, cytochrome oxidase enzyme contains copper in the the uh, blue state of copper oxidation, and the blue copper absorbs red light, uh, and uh, there isn't very much of it, so that the red light passes uh, very freely through the tissue without being absorbed randomly, and so it's delivered to the copper in the oxidative enzyme, and it restores the copper to its proper functional role. And uh, that's apparently what's lost uh, during uh, exposure to darkness. The, uh, the use of the uh, cytochrome oxidase enzyme, uh, in effect, wears it out in the dark, and it needs to be recharged by light. And um, you can see similar effects um, if you expose uh, uh, a bit of tissue to sunlight, uh, the blue light and uh, ultraviolet light will excite electrons uh, the same way x-rays excite electrons in, in hard tissue especially. Uh, the, the excited electrons can last for years or decades in the hard tissue, such as the tooth or bone. But in the soft tissue, um, these excited electrons can be detected in 
an electron spin resonance machine uh, for hours after being exposed to sunlight. So you can tell uh, the, the history of, of a seed or a bit of tissue uh, by measuring the state of its electrons, whether it was exposed to blue or ultraviolet light. But while you're measuring it in the machine uh, and expecting it to be able to uh, show excited electrons for hours, if you shine just a burst of red light at the tissue while it's in the machine, it quenches those excited electrons and uh, they they go back to their resting state. Uh, that's apparently what's happening in the uh, in the uh, rat experiment, uh, restoring the copper by absorbing uh, the red light puts the electrons back in the proper arrangement. So you might have said this. I just want to kind of repeat and make sure I hear this correctly. That it's almost in a simplistic sense that light stimulates cellular respiration, progesterone, which is stimulatory to the thyroid, which helps with the the uh, conversion. Where darkness is more stimulatory towards estrogen, serotonin, those things, which are antagonistic to um, the conversion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, guys, don't forget we're taking calls 347-426-3546. If you call in, hang tight. I'm not going to interrupt Ray when he's talking. Um, so if you call in, just be ready to be on hold for a couple minutes, and I'll definitely um, chime you in. So don't forget to call 347-426-3546. Can you talk a little bit about um, circulating cholesterol uh, in correlation with vitamin D and calcium absorption? Is there a correlation? Oh, oh well, uh, no, not uh, not anything I can think of. Um, uh, a toxic level of vitamin D is one of the things that can uh, injure the the blood vessel wall. But uh, at, at physiological levels, um, uh, the um, possibly interacting through parathyroid hormone would be uh, an indirect way that they would relate. Okay. Now, I have a, a question from, a, um, not a caller, someone emailed me the other day, and um, I'm going to read you the question. I'm pretty sure it's from an audio a radio show that you're on. Um, I don't have a date, but it says his statement, which I'm assuming it might be you, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, and it states that, it is possible to live entirely without eating fats because your body can make all the saturated fat it needs. In the early part of the last century, animals that lived on fat-free diet were completely free of spontaneous cancers and lived longer than normal. So the question is, if the body can make all the saturated fat it needs, what's the importance, if any, of consuming saturated fats? Uh, one thing is that uh, makes the food a lot pleasanter to eat. Uh, <laughs> it makes it... Uh, digest more efficiently and uh, uh, steadily. Uh, experiments with a loop of intestine, uh, they would put uh, just proteins or just carbohydrates or just fats uh, in at a time. And they found that the digestion was very poor until you had all three types of food present at the same time. 
and then the uh, it was as if the intestine needed a complex stimulus before it would really effectively start absorbing and digesting the food. Uh, so it's it's partly in a stimulus to your intestine uh, to handle the protein and carbohydrate effectively. And uh, the uh, it, it's a signal of uh, satisfaction that helps to lower stress uh, to have uh, fat and sugar in your food. So I guess that we should ask, in a homeostatic state, which is, I guess, hard to get to for a lot of people, can a person or should they uh, live on a quote-unquote fat-free diet because the body is going to be working efficiently? Or no, I mean, you highly recommend, especially in this day and age, people definitely increasing their saturated fat content. Uh, yeah, largely because of the the effect on the the taste system and the intestine reflexes. Uh, it um, helps to uh, handle the other foods efficiently and to make the whole body uh, recognize uh, that it's being fed properly. Right. So it, it's part of the uh, the reflex nervous system that guides eating and uh, helps helps to satisfy the appetite. Right. And so people uh, feel more satisfied when they've had uh, fats, especially saturated fats. And the experiments uh, with with the rats, uh, they they used a purified diet, and uh, when saturated fats were added, uh, they had similar uh, cancer-free results. It, it's the a very small amount of of uh, unsaturated fat that is responsible for the uh, the stress and and cancer production. Uh, right. The equivalent of of just about a teaspoonful of unsaturated fat per day is enough to uh, show a threshold increase in the incidence of cancer. And when we eat natural foods, we're uh, always getting some of the unsaturated fats. Uh, and it, it's hard even eating uh, coconut oil and and butter fat and beef fat and so on that are they only have about 2% uh, unsaturated fats, but on a normal diet, it's hard to uh, get down to that uh, right. threshold of, of about four grams of fat per day. And uh, so that's, uh, besides eating the most saturated uh, type of fat, uh, it's uh, that's one of the arguments for using carbohydrates as a uh, major, major part of your energy supply because uh, if we have some uh, extra carbohydrates more than we need to burn at the moment, uh, they will turn into saturated fats uh-huh. and uh, uh, extend the the, uh, the proportion so that, in effect, you can lower the unsaturated proportion uh, below the threshold of carcinogenic uh, fats. Right. That makes sense. 
We, I, I get some questions on coconut oil and stuff. We got a caller. Do you mind taking a, a caller? Okay. Caller from the four five zero. You are on the air. Yes, I just. This is GP. Hey, GP. What's up, buddy? No much, you. Hi, Dr. Pete. Hi. This is Jean-Philippe Grew from Montreal. Uh huh. Hi. Hi. I have a big question for you. You know what? Uh, I have a best friend of mine. Uh, now I don't know if you can answer me, but it's uh, contract HEV now, and I recommend him some of your recommendation about saturated fat and aspirin. But his last blood test showed that the CD4 and CD8 drops down. Do you have something to help him? Um, what about niacinamide? To, uh, uh, there, people with HIV often have a very high uh, polyunsaturated fats circulating, and mm-hmm. niacinamide is something that will help lower the free fatty acids. If you lower the uh, free fatty acid. The CD4 and CD8 increase again, or I think so. You think so? <laughs> okay, because you know what, his doctor advised him to uh, to begin the tritherapy, like uh, ACT, I think. And I don't know if you're, uh, you know, you advise that or you have other recommendation. Um, I think because because I I I read a lot of it about coconut oil. I try to. Uh, to explain him that coconut oil are very, you know, useful when you have you contract HEV, and I gave him maybe five tablespoons per day. But you know, if the CD4 decreases, I don't know what to explain him to that. You know, um, sugar, niacinamide, and aspirin are mm-hmm. all, all things that help to lower the the stress and keep the immune system up. Okay, but when you said aspirin is could be, you know, 15 aspirin per day? Around that. Around that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's very good. If I have something is going wrong with him, i let you an email. Thank you very much, Dr. Pete. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Bye, Just. Yes, bye. Bye. Great stuff. Great stuff. Thanks, JP. Let's talk about coconut oil because people out there, I mean, even our clients, everyone's just so, you say saturated fat and it's just like, bam, people are so against it and they don't know why. But we know when we talk about saturated fat, of course, there's others, but, you know, you're a huge proponent of coconut oil. Um, Can you elaborate on why in regards to metabolism, hypothyroidism, the liver, just as much as you can put out there for people? Um, uh, Any of the saturated fats or have an anti-inflammatory protective effect. Uh, a group studying liver disease uh, has found that uh, the fish oils and uh, uh, shorter seed oil unsaturated forms uh, increase uh, liver inflammation and a tendency to become uh, fibrotic and, and cirrhosis. And that can be blocked by the the uh, saturated fats. I think it was uh, an Indian that noticed that alcoholics in India who lived in the areas where they had uh, ghee or butter as their uh, main fat didn't develop 
liver cirrhosis despite being alcoholic. And uh, they began testing that and saw that alcohol activates uh, the unsaturated fats to react with iron to uh, break down and produce the the liver damage. And, And so all of the saturated fats are protective when you have an inflamed situation. Uh, and that goes all the way up to the waxes, uh, such as extracted from beeswax and sugarcane and such, the uh, super long chain uh, saturated fats. Uh, and uh, the coconut oil is um, in the medium uh, uh, chain length that includes uh, some of the very short chain saturated fats. Uh, Mostly it's 14 and 16 uh, carbon chains. And the the shortness of the chain means that it's very mobile in your uh, system. And uh, the the shorter saturated fats uh, can be handled in the mitochondria without uh, relying on the the transport systems for handling 18 uh, chain carbons, for example, the the, uh, 10 carbon chains uh, can be oxidized as easily as glucose. And so um, uh, instead of interfering with glucose metabolism and switching uh, the the whole mitochondrial function, uh, they can participate and even activate the glucose oxidation, and they interfere with the uh, anti-metabolic effects of the unsaturated fats. Uh, uh, By interfering with the anti-metabolites, they let the mitochondria run at full speed, and uh, that works as if you're giving a thyroid supplement. The unsaturated fats interfere with uh, all of the effects of thyroid, all the way from the gland secreting the hormone and the proteins transporting thyroid hormone and the cells responding to it. Uh, so the at all of those points, the coconut oil is probably uh, getting in, in the way of the suppressive effects of the polyunsaturated fats but especially in the mitochondrion where the coconut oil itself is being very quickly burned and used as energy. So the interesting thing for the listeners, I'm going to summarize that if I can, is that saturated fats help to protect the body and detox from unsaturated fats. They help with glucose oxidation and um, kind of reteaching the liver how to store glycogen and helping with blood sugar regulation. Uh, saturated fats like coconut, a pro-thyroid and anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, and uh, speeding the metabolic rate. Uh, yes. It, that's the most important thing the thyroid does, and right. and sugar and coconut oil uh, work right with it to uh, maximize the uh, good metabolic oxygen consumption. And it's interesting because, at least with our clients, there's other things we've done, but to lower people's cholesterol, we've actually increased their saturated fat. Um, and most people just get, you know, completely, 
you know, blindsided by that, but it, it's, it definitely works. Can you talk about, um, you've quoted, I think it was he say in a lot of your articles uh, about coconut oil and its effect on the pancreas, am I correct? Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, he was um, experimenting at, at the time he was working. Uh, he was uh, just discovering the the multiple factors that uh, regulate blood sugar, and uh, saw that the pituitary would activate the adrenals to increase uh, cortisol and raise the blood sugar, while the the pancreas was uh, making insulin to lower the blood sugar, uh, and uh, the, uh, the coconut oil and sugar worked very similarly to uh, uh, keep the system working uh, to allow insulin uh, both to function and to be produced. And uh, he didn't uh, know at that time uh, there were a lot of things about the interactions of pituitary uh, sugar uh, uh, adrenal and so on uh, that hadn't been discovered yet, but uh, working uh, just with those few elements, he was on the right track. Good stuff on coconut oil. Let's talk about milk, you know, and, and then I want to talk about eggs because we're talking about saturated fats. And we know, or the people that are listening, how much of a huge proponent you are of, of course, the right type of milk for that person um, because of it's a complete macronutrient and saturated fat. Can you just give us, you know, some of your thoughts on why it's so so important? Um, why should people be using it in their diet? Because most people out there, nutritionists, are actually uh, not promoting it and saying it's actually quite inflammatory. Um, and you actually promote it as something mean that's anti-inflammatory. Uh, I think the calcium content, uh, besides... It contains uh, such a broad spectrum of of all of the nutrients, but the disproportion of calcium uh, is, I think, what makes it anti-inflammatory. And that uh, there are lots of ways that the calcium is working. Uh, One is that it increases the um, oxygen-using ability of the mitochondria the same way thyroid does. Uh, It um, specifically activates some uh, enzymes, the uncoupling proteins in the mitochondria that uh, turn on a a higher metabolic rate. But uh, systemically, it's uh, suppressing the uh, parathyroid hormone, and the parathyroid hormone is another of the uh, short-range protective adaptive hormones that, when it continues too long, becomes uh, counterproductive and uh, contributes to degenerative diseases. Uh, the uh, uh, people on, on a kidney dialysis uh, tend to uh, get very high parathyroid hormone and uh, because of an imbalance of phosphorus and calcium, and the parathyroid hormone is is what 
eventually tends to kill them, uh, causing all kinds of uh, stress reactions, aging reactions to be intensified. And uh, having a chronically high calcium intake gives you a chronically low parathyroid level. So the parathyroid isn't uh, taking calcium out of your bones and uh, uh, tending to put it into your arteries and, and kidneys and so on. Keeping the parathyroid hormone down protects your arteries and kidneys and bones and uh, allows your your uh, insulin to do what it should uh, to uh, keep the free fatty acids under control and uh, the, the, the whole system uh, tends to uh, function in a, a smoother way when you keep these stress hormones minimal. Uh, so the calcium downregulates parathyroid hormone, which downregulates inflammation. So you talk about how the dairy in itself is actually pro-thyroid, um, which can help with the conversion of cholesterol. Is that because of the progesterone in it? Uh, that's that's just one minor factor. Uh, human milk, at least, contains uh, enough progesterone and thyroid uh, to uh, meet the baby's needs. So the babies that are born without a thyroid gland, if they're being breastfed, will uh, not have any hypothyroid symptoms until they're weaned. So it's human milk has a, a full uh, supportive endocrine system in it for the baby. And uh, cow's milk isn't as appropriate for for human use, but it, it still has uh, some of the uh, metabolism supporting hormones as well as, as the nutrients. Mm-hmm. Guys, don't forget we're taking callers, 347-426-3546. You're welcome to call in. Um, Ray's taking callers today, so definitely feel free to call in. Let's talk about eggs and fat. Can you elaborate on why you feel eggs are an important staple of people's diets? I know Dr. Brewer talked about that as well. Um, is it the fat content? Is it the protein? Is it the combination of both? Or is there something else in the egg? Um, with the industrialization of the egg industry uh, 40 years ago or so, the uh, cholesterol content of eggs went down quite a bit and the polyunsaturated uh, content went up. So if you can get uh, non-industrial eggs uh, from chickens that have pastures and, and can eat varied food, uh, the eggs are going to be a lot better. Uh, but the cholesterol in the egg seems to be one of the, its important nutritional values. Uh, something like 600 milligrams of, of uh, cholesterol in your diet uh, from uh, some of the experiments uh, it increases the uh, oxidative stability of your uh, Lipid particles in your bloodstream uh, makes them less atherogenic. We got a call I'm going to take, if you don't mind. Um, just popped in. He's been waiting for a little bit, actually. 
Caller from the 949, you're on the air. Hi, this is Danny Roddy. Hi, Josh. Hi, Dr. Pete. Hi. What up, Danny? Hey, um, yo, uh, I just wanted to ask Dr. Pete, I know he's talked about this uh, a lot in his articles, but basically a lot of people in the paleosphere are under the impression that free fatty acids in blood is a good thing. So I was curious if Dr. Pete could elaborate that on that and uh, perhaps uh, uh, explain how that can be uh, uh, harming to the liver and the thyroid. What was the material in the blood? A free fatty acid. Yeah. Free fatty acids? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Can you explain why somebody would not want that to happen, uh, i.e. like a low-carb diet? Would not want which to happen. He's saying he, he say that the, the, uh, a group of people that follow the paleo diet out there, which is a high-protein, low-carb diet, and they're saying through their research that having higher levels of free fatty acids in the blood is actually beneficial, and you're oh. saying it's not. So he was asking you to kind of oh. elaborate on it. Um, yeah, that's that's my main argument against uh, eating a, a high meat diet. Uh, the um, that's one of the important functions of sugar, I think, because uh, my next newsletter uh, in four months, I think, will be talking about <laughs> free fatty acids. Uh, but basically, they're uh, one of the means by which stress causes its damage. Uh, I've known people who were eating oh, two or three pounds of meat a day and who were getting sicker and sicker as their uh, free fatty acids and free amino acids increased. Uh, and uh, uh, that started me uh, reading more about the free state of, of fatty acids in the blood. Uh, and uh, just about everything that goes wrong is uh, involves uh, free fatty acid increase. If they're totally uh, saturated fatty acids, uh, such as from uh, coconut oil uh, and butter, those are less harmful, but they still tend to shift uh, the mitochondrial uh, cellular metabolism uh, away from uh, using glucose and fructose uh, and uh, uh, turning on uh, various stress-related uh, things by lowering uh, the carbon dioxide production, I think, is the main mechanism. Uh, Amazing. The thank you so much, Dr. P, and thank you, Josh. I, I love the show. Thank you. Cool, man. Thanks for calling in. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Do you mind taking another caller? No, fine. Okay. Uh, let's see. Caller from the 314, you're on the air. Oh, maybe not. Hold on. Maybe they hang up. Caller from the 314, you're on the air. Is it me? If you're 314, that would be you. Okay, well, I knew that there may be more than one caller from my particular area code. Um, I uh, I just called in because I had a spare minute, and I was hoping to catch um, some information, so I wasn't really trying to – I didn't intentionally, uh, like, put a question out there. I mean, 
Um, oh, I'm just listen. Yeah, yeah, I'm just now being introduced to most of this stuff, so pretty much anything that's discussed I'll be thoroughly interested in. Um, okay. In particular, with regard to mitochondrial function and how specific macronutrients and even different vitamins and minerals may play a role in how. So, so that All right, I'll, 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 I'll ask I'll ask him that. Okay. Whoa, that was a little too loud for me. But I think his question was, I'll simplify it, because I heard a dog, a baby, in a car. What does cholesterol have to do with mitochondrial respiration? Oh, um, first of all, it, it stabilizes it, uh, protects it against the free fatty acids that uh, are one of the disruptive influences. Uh, and uh, besides stabilizing it, it uh, actually stimulates respiration, oxygen consumption, which might be just because of that stabilizing effect. But uh, it functions as an antioxidant, uh, partly by by the way it interferes with with the free fatty acids and um, cholesterol associates with with proteins and nucleic acids and uh, as well as other lipid materials and I think the way it binds to proteins is uh, r- responsible for its stabilizing effect in the mitochondrion uh, the the, um, the proteins that make up the mitochondrion have uh, a very lipid property so that you can uh, use an oily solvent, remove all of the oil-soluble materials, and you still have a mitochondrion there. But uh, that that shows that the the um, apparent mitochondrial membrane is really a, a protein structure member uh, r- rather than a, a fat membrane system, and that protein structure is reinforced and stabilized by binding with cholesterol molecules. Huh. So in a sense, would you think, though, it it obviously just helps with the production of, well, I don't know if it would help with the production of T3, but just the production Uh, of carbon dioxide as well? Yeah, yeah, it stimulates the whole respiratory process, which includes conversion of some cholesterol to the hormones as well as... uh, producing carbon dioxide right awesome there you go lamb that was that was for you we got another caller i think um from the 415 let's see if they get a question for us may take a second to get them on here hello computers uh caller from the 415 you're on the air you can you hear me yeah okay yeah i was just wondering um a lot of coconut oil sometimes they um make people either feel sick to their stomach at first or really achy? Is that because of the salicylates in it or something? Is it better then to get the refined coconut oil if you're having problems with, uh, Um, you know, some of the components in it? (laughs) Yeah, I recommend the completely deodorized kind. The research was always done with the filtered kind that had no odor at all. Even though it tastes really good to make... Uh, you know, ice cream or cookies or something out of the the very aromatic kind for for safety and general use. Uh, 
because some people are are allergic to the the aromatic, tasty things in the in the coconut, uh, right. making it completely odorless. I think is safest. Right, but that's not too processed, though. The bleach, refined, deodorized, RBD or whatever they call it, you can find one yeah, that are not. They just pass it through diatomaceous earth or or fuller's uh-huh. earth, and so it's just a filtering process. No, no chemical uh, treatments. Okay, yeah, because I mean, when we've had the um, the regular virgin coconut oil, always end up feeling kind of sick or achy or something like inflammation, sort of like with fermented food. So I just didn't know what was what was going on yeah, there. It, it just takes a spoonful of the very odorous stuff to make me sick for about three days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And how much a day would be for just an average weight person? To just however much they want, a few tablespoons? Um, yeah, a, a tablespoon with a meal was enough to um, make me uh, breathe harder, get pinker, uh, have a higher pulse rate, and lose about, uh, I guess it was a pound or two a week. Okay. All right, Hello. sounds good. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. I love it, Ray. Have a good one. Just no nonchalant with your answers. You just make it so simple. It's great. So could it be, too, because some people aren't used to eating saturated fat, and they might have an overburdened liver, a biliary insufficiency, uh, and so forth, so that increase saturated fat too fast. Um, could it do with CCK, the release of CCK that causes the nausea, or do you think it's just the yeah. actual? Okay. Uh, low thyroid people uh, have very touchy gallbladders, right. and uh, uh, it just takes a little uh, grease to to trigger a, a gallbladder reaction, and you've got to get your gallbladder in good condition. Uh, right. Getting the estrogen down is the basic thing, but low thyroid people, a uh, very high percentage of them have gallbladder disease. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading that in Dr. John Lee's work a long time ago. He found a huge correlation with gallbladder surgeries and estrogen dominance. Um, I got another email from a, from a listener, and he wanted to know, he knows you advocate coconut oil um, and so forth for their antimicrobial properties. But in addition, he'd like to ask about your views on butyric and propionic, pro, propene, I can't even pronounce it. I can spell it for you. Propionic. There you go. Acid. Um, those are produced uh, in the intestine mm-hmm. by fermenting bacteria, and they uh, they have such a protective effect against cancer that uh, people were actually selling uh, butyric acid pills for cancer treatment about 20 years ago. But uh, uh, the stuff <laughs> smells so bad that uh, some people preferred the cancer to the treatment. <laughs> uh, they sold tongs to pick up the pills before you swallowed them so you wouldn't have to touch such stinky material. But it 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 is one of the components of milk, butter, coconut oil, uh, the very the four carbon uh fatty acids metabolize into that uh, when they're released from the 
uh, glycerol in the triglyceride. Uh, so it's it's just a trace of it in that gives you the buttery smell when you heat butter. Uh, it, it's the what butter it butter gave butyric acid its name, uh, but uh, since it's produced by bacteria, and since people with very good health uh, have no bacteria in their small intestine, uh, and the farther up in your intestine that you have bacteria, uh, it's the likelier you are to have a lot of uh, digestive and other health symptoms. And, and um, low thyroid people have slow digestion, and the bacteria tend to occupy most of their intestine. So uh, from the, the fact that the healthiest people don't have bacteria and the butyric acid is produced by fermentive bacteria, uh, it, it should be uh, limited to the colon uh, and uh, preferably the materials that feed the bacteria should have been digested and absorbed in the small intestine. Uh, so uh, I think ideally uh, we shouldn't be making any uh, butyric acid in the intestine. And both butyric acid and propionic acid have some uh, pro-inflammatory effect as well as their anti-cancer effect. So uh, even though they are uh, potential cancer therapies, uh, ultimately... I'm uh, for minimizing the intestinal production of them. Uh, okay. And are they found mostly in the large intestine? Well, uh, no. When you have bacteria living up in your ileum, uh, a lot of it's produced there. Okay. Good stuff. Now, let's get to the question about, we're talking about cholesterol, saturated fat. We've gone through the mechanisms of foods. And I kind of want to do a summary at the end, but you have all these people taking statins, and most people don't even know the implications of taking a statin. They don't know what they're putting in their mouth, and they don't know what else to do. What's, what's first off, what's the risk of not only taking a statin, but what's the risk of lowering your cholesterol? Well, the, the um, tendency to become violent or suicidally depressed um, or... Um, increasing the uh, tendency towards dementia, um, the um, uh, making your red blood cells less stable, uh, everything becomes less stable. Um, the cholesterol is, is an intrinsic part of, part of uh, uh, chromosome and, and DNA function and of cell division regulation. Uh, the the um, first things people notice would be the uh, the emotional uh, yeah. effects probably, and the statins uh, are they have um, some beneficial anti-inflammatory effects, but at the same time uh, they do lower your cholesterol and they interfere with uh, that whole chain of Synthesis, so they affect your uh, coenzyme Q10 production yeah. and uh, uh, anything in that system. 
and and so the that probably is a factor in in why they cause uh, bones to rot uh, and uh, muscles to break down catastrophically. Uh, muscle pains, uh, cramps, and muscle pains are very common in uh, people who lower their cholesterol very much with the statins, and uh, that can cause the what they call a rhabdomyolysis, where the oh. the muscle is basically dying. And I think it's a similar process that causes causes what they call fossy jaw. Uh, uh, the the interference with uh, our cholesterol is um, it affects everything. Right. Yeah. You, of course, with most people, you see uh, fatigue, energy issues, and when you see a would you see a, like a, a decrease in libido and hormonal uh, function? Um, yeah, I think that's one of the early things. Okay. And it's interesting that some of the most common drugs are SSRIs and libido-enhancing drugs as well as cholesterol-lowering drugs, so it's kind of like a little circle going on. So to summarize, what are some foods or what are some things that people can do to help regulate their cholesterol? Um. Uh, up or down? Ah, <laughs> uh, to lower it, because most people complain of high cholesterol. Um, I should say to normalize it. The um, a daily raw carrot uh, will uh, tend to lower your uh, cortisol and estrogen, and uh, that by by uh, stopping the stress will let your thyroid work better and increase progesterone. Okay. And uh, uh, that uh, should accelerate the conversion of cholesterol into uh, more progesterone and protective things. And avoiding the polyunsaturated fats uh, is essential for your thyroid to recover. And uh, the uh, everything that increases your metabolic rate, uh, such as calcium and sodium, are essential. Of course, to get the vitamin A, you could use dairy, liver, eggs. Um, I think you mentioned before vitamin C. What does vitamin C have to do with lowering cholesterol? Um, it's um, part of the... Um, the uh, adrenal and, and ovarian... System. I don't think it has a, a direct uh, synthetic relationship, okay. but it, it's uh, just part of the adrenal, uh, probably uh, having a, an antioxidant function when the cell is excited. Stage in the process, kind of like an adaptogen of some sort. I, yeah, I think it's like a general adaptogen rather than a synthetic catalyst. Okay. Guys, we've got about 15 minutes left or so, um, so definitely feel free to call in if you want to ask one last question, 347-426-3546. Um, I don't know if there's anything in regards to cholesterol and saturated fats that we might have missed, Ray, that you want to kind of talk about, of course. It's a big topic. We're trying to cover as much as we can. Are there any key points that we might have missed that you feel is important for the listeners? Oh, um, uh, 
the um I think the important thing is to um, not think of the unsaturated fats as anything essential. Uh, that has never uh, been proved, and the uh, what Burr himself proved was that the unsaturated fats lower metabolism, so that so that the so-called deficient animals had a 50% higher metabolic rate. And that means that all of your nutritional requirements will increase when you shift to a prothyroid saturated fat uh, diet and uh, the the increased metabolic rate will increase your need for copper and selenium uh, the B vitamins <coughs> and uh, I'm not sure what the effect on protein requirement is uh, the, the protein uh, can contribute to that same intensifying metabolism effect. Uh, so I don't know what the ratio should be between the uh, saturated fats, proteins, and carbohydrates, but it probably varies with the individual's stress level. Uh, uh, for example, uh, when you're at rest, your muscles can burn uh, pure uh, fatty acids, uh, but as your level of activity increases, the proportion of uh, glucose oxidation increases, decreasing the the use of, of fats. So your activity level uh, governs uh, the amount of, of saturated fat or carbohydrate and protein that you need. Right. If everyone was listening, we did a show on polyunsaturated fatty acids. You can go back to our Blog Talk Radio show page. It's blogtalkradio.com backslash eastwesthealing. Um, and you can download that show and listen to it. But um, he's talking about a lot of above-ground vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, uh, fatty fishes, um, collar oil, fish oil, all those things are the unsaturated fats, which I know is opposite of what everyone's telling you. So definitely get educated. Um, it's important to know what you're putting in your body and what could possibly be causing the issues that you're having. Um, and you have to make a change. Go for it, Ray. You've, you've probably been hearing about the, the the woman doctor who treated her husband's Alzheimer's disease with coconut oil and medium-chain triglycerides. Uh, uh, that fits right in with, with the established evidence that it's the breakdown of the highly polyunsaturated fats that is contributing to the Alzheimer's disease. You can see the, the chemicals like isoprostanes, uh, the spontaneous oxidation products of the polyunsaturated fats in the, the brains of Alzheimer's uh, patients. And uh, so the um, one of the direct effects of the saturated medium-chain triglycerides or coconut oil is uh, to provide the saturated fats to the brain as well as the the ketones and the energy right. supply. Great stuff, Ray, great stuff. Um, I riddled through all my questions, 50-plus questions, checking them off, making sure we got stuff in there. Um, like I said, we got about 12 minutes left. If anyone has any um Question, one last question I want to ask. Definitely feel free to call in 347-426-3546. 
Um, other than that, Ray, anything else you want to add to the show? Oh, nothing occurs to me. Are you selling books again? Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So people can just – can you tell people how to do that? Because a lot of people email me and ask how to order your books, so I think now's a chance just to let people uh, – um, Yeah, it's on the website, the address, Post Office Box 5764 UG okay. 97405. So they just send you a check, let you know what they want with the with their address, and you'll mail the books to them. Yeah, and um, the the postage – listed there is $3 for one book, but uh, for a group of more than one book, the postage per book is, is less. It, right. It depends on the number of books and the particular combination. Right. And you're still taking more sign-ups via newsletter? Oh, sure. Okay. And how much is that for the listeners again? In the U.S., $28, Canada and Mexico, 38 and Elsewhere, 48. Right. Well worth it, guys. Well worth it. Unbelievable stuff. Well, Ray, that was an awesome show. Um, I know I speak for the listeners. Once again, not only appreciate you taking the time of your day to do this with us, but appreciate all the research you've done, the open-mindedness that you've had, and everything that you share with everyone all over the world. So, really appreciate it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Have a good one, Ray. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So there you go, guys. Another show with Dr. Ray Pete. The guy absolutely amazes me and puts a smile on my face. Um, The stuff that he knows and just how simplistic, well, to me, how simplistic it sounds. Uh, Just remember, everyone's an individual. You have to break that more the same plus more the same cycle to change. His information is one way to do that with a huge blast. And just realize that it's not just about eating carrots and taking niacinamide and drinking milk and you're going to be cured. It's all about understanding who you are, what your physiology is, the state that you're in, how many meals you need to eat a day, what are your ratios of macronutrients, what foods are going to work for you even though they're recommended. Uh, So there's so many factors that need to be worked on and fine-tuned and fine-tuned and fine-tuned. So hopefully you enjoyed the show. Like I said, we've got another show coming up October 27th with Dr. Andrew Cutler, biochemist, Ph.D., on amalgam illness. So definitely get your questions ready. And we'll be scheduling another show with Dr. Ray Pete for maybe October, November, depending on when he's available. Not sure of the topic, but definitely tune in. Check out our Facebook page, Josh Rubin or Jeannie Rubin. You can go to our website and see our, our blog. You can find our YouTube page, Facebook, all that stuff. You can follow when the next shows are. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm out of here. Need one more reason why your Safeway store is just better? How about free Cuisinart Classic Cutlery or Elite Flatware? That's right. For every $10 you spend, earn a free stamp saver you can redeem for Cuisinart items. Once you've collected between 30 and 60 stamps, you could start shopping for a variety of Cuisinart Cutlery or Flatware available at the in-store display. Present your items and stamp saver at checkout. It's simple. Spend $10, get your free stamp saver. Start collecting. Safeway, it's just better.